Today's a good day to die. It was a daring experiment. I'm going next. They were trying to find the answers to life. Why are you doing this? To see if there's anything out there beyond death. But they weren't ready for what followed them back. You withheld information that's the same as lying. They're not real! Keeper Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon. No! Flatliners, rated R. Starts Friday, August 10th at select theaters. Welcome back to the Cinemasters of the Universe podcast. This week's, or this episode, I don't want to say weeks because we never know how frequently we're dumping these things. This episode, episode 70, we're going to talk about a movie that asks the question, what happens when you die? And you sprinkle in a little horror, you get the movie Flatliners from 1990, directed by Joel Schumacher. To talk about this flick with me is my fearless co-host of the North, someone who never, ever drops a flat line, Adam Peterson. Allison? Wait, this is the, that's the wrong podcast. <laughs> Did you go back and listen to that by any chance? I was wrong. I misremembered how he says it. Uh, talking about Carrie Elway's from Saw uh, last week, right? Yes. Yeah, he goes... Allie, <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the so, other way. I like Allison. I like that. Better. I do too because I do too because I picture you can do like three sets of contortion to the face like <laughs> Allison. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. <laughs> I'll never yeah. like be able to watch that movie without cracking up. See that part that's and that's that's why The Exorcist is one of the funniest movies to me. <laughs> it is a hilarious movie. I have to it's give you that. Absolutely. Side splitting. Flatliners uh, is our week four of our five part Halloween spooktacular volume spooktacular. two. And, you know, I don't know if this movie necessarily fits the traditional Halloween movie, but I think it fits pretty nicely. I like it. It has a scene that takes place during Halloween, so yes. right away you gotta. That's totally acceptable. And and uh, and besides that, the movie has like a real fall look to it because of all the gloomy, uh, sh- I guess Chicago, um, you know, urban Chicago settings. With I mean, everything's just gray and gloomy. Yes. And Joel Schumacher with the what did you say? There's one thing that Joel Schumacher does well. It's neon graffiti in alleys. Yeah, ne- <laughs> You're so right. He loves that. Uh, Jill Schumacher, what what movie comes to mind most uh, in your head when you Batman hear Batman and uh, Robin? <laughs> oh, Batman and Robin, not that even the straight better to Batman. the worst one. <laughs> it's the worst Jill Schumacher movie. He's got some pretty cool movies to his name. He's got a uh, let's see, he did well. He did Lost Boys, right? Yes. Yeah, and he did uh, Batman Forever, which is the better of the Schumacher. Uh, Two, 
Uh, see what else? What else has he got un- under his falling belt? down? That's right, falling down. He did that. Uh, let's see. And he we recently lost Joel Schumacher, didn't we? Didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we lost him in June of last year. So over a year ago. <laughs> That's okay. Pretty fairly recently. Still recent. Still, still fresh. Yeah, and uh, oh, he did eight millimeter, which is a pretty mm, not great movie, but it's got Nick Cage in it. Nick Cage is always entertaining. Saint Elmo's Fire. That's a great. That's a classic eighties romp. What? Which one is that? Saint Elmo's Fire. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the Brad Pack right there, right? And the uh, the immortal. Jim Carrey classic, the number twenty three. Oh yeah, I think that was basically his last hurrah. I don't think he, I think he has credits beyond that, but that was probably his final big, you know, uh, feature film as a director. And yeah. you know, it as far as Jim spooky Jim Carrey movies go, it's one of the better ones. I gotta say, there's so many of them out there. Uh, Flatliners is cool. Like I, I, I was thinking back on this. Right, I'm trying to think, and as best as I can remember, this is the first movie I've ever seen in theaters that would be considered like a horror movie. It's my first film, my my first horror movie in theaters. So that's pretty cool. I remember, um, in 1990, that that was my, the year I had my big cinematic awakening. I guess you'd call it. I'd seen uh, Batman. Once, once I went to see, I mean, I'd been to movies before Batman, uh, plenty of them, but it wasn't until Batman where something really just sort of unlocked in me. And we, something I, I've talked about that. Yeah, something's flipped. The switch flipped, and I, I just started becoming more interested in movies and how they're made. Reading the magazines, uh, what we had available to us at the time, uh, Entertainment Weekly back in the day, of course, Premier Magazine, just whatever I could could get a hold of in Walden books or uh Ooh, Walden it, books you know yeah that's nice that's throwback a, that's a blast for the past yes thank you thank you B Dalton's about that Ooh, that's another good one it's the co-champion it's the co-champion of the mall bookstore mall chain. bookstores oh remember those kids they were when, the best when you want to buy a book and you want to spend a lot of money go to a mall bookstore mm-hmm <laughs> Or if you want to read books all day long for free, yeah, go to a mall bookstore. <laughs> Your mall bookstore because... clerk does not care. <laughs> I I never had that experience. No, you they, know? Do, they don't Honestly, care. As long as you're not a f- you're f- being fussy, getting in the way of a paying customer, you know, just go grab yourself a book. And and later chains that weren't mall chains, but like your Barnes and Noble and places like that. They made it too easy with all the comfortable chairs. Barnes and Noble wants you around. to be there all day. Yeah, they really do. They put it in the coffee shop. But Flatliners, I remember this. This was a negotiation. It was a compromise. I around this time, the movie that I wanted to see really badly was the Liam Neeson, Sam Raimi, uh, cult classic Darkman. That was. That I remember really wanting to see that badly. Thought it looked really cool in the trailers. It had that kind of Batman esque. I'm pretty sure it has a Danny Elfman score. So like in the trailers, so like this is just Batman with some burnt up dude. But I'm if you I'm set Batman on fire, this is him. <laughs> yeah, if you set Batman on fire and 
and and Liam Neeson's putting out a crazy performance. Like I rewatched that somewhat recently, and it's like, wow, he's really unhinged in that sucker. Oh yes. But uh, Flatliners, we you know he didn't want to see that, so I was like, well, let's let's see Flatliners. We don't really know exactly what it's about a whole lot, but you know, my brother was like, I trusted him. I got a lot of my movie sensibilities from him. So if he said Flatliners look like a good movie, let's check it out. Maybe too young to see it. I don't know. It it's not terribly scary. It's just more eerie and yeah. It it pulls a few of the classic horror movie tropes. You I think once you've seen it once, you're way less scared of it from future yeah. viewings. Once you get a gist of like what's happening, but for a good chunk of the movie it's very suspenseful and scary. Especially the scenes with um, Julia Roberts' dad. Yeah, those are pretty... Because he, he... Those are heavy. He, he, those are heavy, and, and he looks kind of like a zombie, even before he shoots himself. You know, he's just kind of got this kind of buggy zombie look to him. Yeah. So... Well, Joel, um, Joel Schumacher does a pretty good job in those scenes. Um, I would say... I mean, he, he uses the same effect, but I feel like it loses a little bit in the Billy Baldwin stuff. But I feel like the other three, mm-hmm. he's he's very attuned to lighting. That feels like mm-hmm. something that he really relies on. And he does do it well. It's I mean, there yeah. are times I think he overplays that hand a little bit, and that's where it gets a little cartoony. But yeah. it's he, he does still have, you know, a, a decent ability when it comes to lighting because... When, when you're, you know, the scenes with Julia Robert, when, I mean, even when, uh, and not to jump all the way to the end, but when she's left in the, uh, in Kevin Bacon's apartment and that bathroom mm-hmm. door just kind of slowly gl- starts glowing red, I was like, there's, yeah. there's a, a good eerie quality to that. So the lighting, he really yeah. plays up well. Yeah, the lighting plays it well. It's very cinematic in its look. And it, it stars just a ton of actors who are, either just breaking big or are, we're still considered to be very young bankable stars. Uh, heading the cast, I guess you would say, in 1990 would have been Kiefer Sutherland, who plays uh, sort of the main protagonist of the movie, I guess you could say, Nelson Wright. He's uh, a med student. All, all of the characters are med students um, at a university in Chicago, where, then, as you had hilariously pointed out, or, or made some pretty funny observations that we can get to as far as, like, what the classes look like and as far as it's the, the atmosphere of the classroom. Weirdest <laughs> <is>. school. <laughs> the school it looks like a museum. It really it's A museum is that's under renovation. That's the, it's like, yeah. there's scaffolding and there's plastic there's a lot sheeting of plastic everywhere. Tarp. Yeah, tarps are hanging all over the place. Like, they have... Either they're building a new wing or they're tearing down just whatever. <laughs> it's it's really funny, but I, it lends it leads it lends itself to the movie well. Like the the school is a character almost in this thing, the way it looks. Yeah. Just beautiful look. And he, uh, but yeah, Kiefer Oh I, he he likes because it's w- one of the things that, you know, that really to me like it was funny because a lot of things that I might kind of poke fun at in in Batman, um, actually you know are, are decently executed. I would say, except for the neon graffiti. That's one of those where I just like, okay, this is mm-hmm. where it gets a little gratuitous. 
but like that gothic architecture i think you know really yeah you know that combined with that music uh, that was throughout the movie just you know with yeah. that setting as a character it's like the music yeah. combined with that imagery as weird as it is for a medical school because i'm like right i just feel like a medical school would be like really bright and white and like yes. clean <laughs> yeah sterile looking yes <laughs> not a not a dank museum filled with renaissance <laughs> art and scaffolding the scene where the uh when julia goes under and they the the i guess the water yeah uh, like you know shorts out the uh, fuse box like that you're right that is the dankest like just nastiest germ filled a place to to work on a body i mean i know like they're not working on like live well i mean that some some medical students do work on live patients no, they, I, are, they are never seen working on with live patients, except for Kevin Bacon in the opening scene, I guess. Yeah. But it's just like, okay, so has there ever been an electrician in here? Because there's just like exposed <laughs> wiring. And I'm like, oh, this is, it was just, it was a very, you know, it 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 feels like once once you get into the, the tone of it, and, and it's, I don't think for a lot of people it would necessarily be a detractor. It's just more like, huh, that's kind of a weird yeah. thing. But it was. It was just like this is such a weird location. It is, and there's all those I, barriers out front. There's all those parking like. Yeah. Orange, and I was like, why yeah. are there so many of these? With the orange caution, yeah. like who's trying to drive everywhere? directly into this museum? <laughs> when you take all the pieces and you pull them apart and inspect them, it doesn't make any sense. It's but just... when you put it all together and shoot it and film it and don't ask questions, yes. like, it is. It does. It does set a very moody tone. Oh yes, movie, which is perfect. But I, I love the. Um, uh, we'll we'll continue on with the cast. But I really I want to just jump back real quick on just like the you know the the main plot of the movie. I think it's a really really cool idea to to take like to ask that question and and especially like in a horror movie, like what happens to you when you die? You get you get all these similar stories of bright lights and you know when people who die on operating tables and come back and, you know, a key for the Sutherland's character was like, I have this idea. Like we're, I, my, my friends uh, are the best of the best doctors uh, who I can count on to bring. I want, I want to kill myself basically in a controlled environment and, and revive and bring myself back after I've had a few, you know, moments, a minute, minute and a half or so, however long he sets the time that first go round uh, and I'm, I'm going to report assuming I don't have, you know, brain dead activity going on there, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to let people know what I saw, which sounds super cool. But on the other hand, it's like, what makes his accounts any more valid than a garbage man's account yeah. after they've gone under, right? Just because you're filming it. Cause that's sort of the thing. Like I'll go under, I'll come back with all the answers and I'll be rich and famous. More or less, my only evidence will be what I say and there'll be a video camera on me. Like Billy Baldwin's oh, going to record it. This is exactly it, what happened. It's flimsy as hell once you, once, you, once you actually shine the light on the plot itself. It's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, whatever. Who cares? The, you, you kind of accept that these are all scientific minds, doctors, whom 
if documented or like they wrote a certain paper. I mean, who knows? Like maybe this has been done before and then it's a paper or a journal's been written and nobody just really believes it or cares about it. Well, but I'm, for a movie, yeah. it's fun. For a movie, it's fun. Yeah, it really like if you if you go into it and you're just gonna accept the premise of what it is, and like you said, I mean, yeah. same kind of thing. It's like if you just if you know, there's no need. Like I think it's one of those things where like because you know we I, I was sitting and I was thinking it's like I don't know if I've ever just sat down and start to finish watch this movie. And so because yeah. as I was thinking, it was like this reminds me like this would have been something I think I would have eventually added to my what you haven't seen that. Knowing that okay. I've, I've pieced it together over time, but it's like, yeah. I don't know that I ever saw One of those down. kinds of movies. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was like, but it was like watching it. I'm like, oh, you know, there's so many things here. I'm like, be, because it, I know it's not the first time and I'm not just tuned into the plot. I'm like, there's, I have that kind of sense about where I'm like, look, paying attention to the background, what other kinds yeah. of things are going on. I was like, if you're just watching it to watch it, and that's a lot of times, yeah. you know, we, we do a lot of this in jest just for the fun of it, but it's like, if you accept the premise of what these guys are doing, you, you, you do have to just kind of like, okay, it, if they weren't medical students, it wouldn't make sense. And the location, yeah. as goofy as it is, adds to, like if it was just in a hospital, it wouldn't be as, you know, involved. It wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't have that power goes out and, oh no, how right, are we going to work? It's like, you have to have some of those mechanisms in place just to make it work. So... It it does oh, yeah. it, it does work, and it does have a very appealing cast that really has good chemistry together. Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, who had in ninety also did Tremors, uh, but but was pretty much a star and household name well before this movie came out. He may be the most famous person who came into this thing with Footloose being such a phenomenon that it yeah. was. Uh, Julia Roberts was a really hitting huge. I mean, Pretty Woman was also in 1990. She she had played characters and ensemble casts in some pretty important movies, uh, like your was it Steel Magnolias and uh, Mystic Mystic Pizza. Pizza. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Pretty Woman and Flatliners huge for her, as as Julia Roberts would say in Pretty Woman. Uh, Billy Baldwin the you know, <laughs> the second best Billy or bald one. If you're going to get a bald one, you're going to get Billy Baldwin, who, you know, in in the 90s was a pretty big star. You know, he, he was in Backdraft, which I think came out the year later in 91, maybe. Yeah. If- he was he was a big star in that. And, uh, you know, n- never the star Alec was, but he was he was a star. But mu- a much All bigger over- star than Stephen and Daniel. <laughs> combined for sure. Yes. For sure. Oliver Platt, who is just a hilarious, brilliant uh actor. And you know, anytime he shows up, you're gonna get like he he just has a real quick sharp sharp wit and he's that same Oliver Platt in this movie. Um gosh, was was he in what what other stuff is Oliver Platt in? He was in that Three Musketeers movie with Keeper Sutherland, I know. And ready to um, rumble. Right, yeah, he played the king. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just love Oliver Platt. He's usually always, you know, pretty. He's pretty funny always in his movies, and he can play a serious dramatic role too. Like he has that face. I, um, and, I his his favorite role. Of, I think I love him the most from A Time to Kill. Is kind of um, offset to uh, Matthew McConaughey's Jake Brigance. I always really enjoyed mm-hmm. him in that. 
I always like him in anything I see him in. He's just he's just a likable dude. Uh, but yeah, Julia Roberts and Kevin, like that that those four main actors, and they are the four that that go under. Oliver Platt's character never never does uh, do it. He he was always sort of the uh, reluctant, like you know, I I don't want to be a part of this <laughs> at all. And we just sort of would come along for the ride. Um, but you know. I, I, I dig, I dig it. It's kind of like this, like little weird anthology story with these uh, med students who go under, and they keep sort of one upping each other so that they can stay under longer, to you know, presumably get more information. But most of the times, no matter how long it goes, it just it's so dreamlike in its its state. I I don't know. It, it makes you ask all these questions yourself in real life, a movie like this. It really does. Like, what do you believe happens when you die? I mean, we, we kind of know certain things that happen. I mean, uh, the brain, I guess, stays alive for a bit, just a bit longer uh, after, you know, if you have, like, total, like, organ loss. I guess as long as the brain has anything left, you're going to get some electricity firing up there. You could have maybe some consciousness. Um. I don't know anything about this, so I hate to even try and tackle it and speak to it. But I think uh, what 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 is it that makes all of these accounts so similar? I love I love the thought of that. Like I I really dig the question. Uh, and the you know sort of the mission statement of these movies and Julia Roberts. I like how when you know her character brings this whole like my. Um, you know, she she's questioning like the old woman who she's caring for. You know, she's she's trying to be positive and upbeat. She wants to believe that you go to a better place. And she, all the while, she's had she's harboring this guilt from when her father committed suicide. I like how it it takes it kind of takes that uh, delivery system of of the horror. And you're like, okay, what happens when you die? And then you get all these like little different, very different types of sins i guess you would say because Kiefer sutherland accidentally kills a kid kevin beckin just teased a little girl <laughs> yeah julia roberts witnessed her father commit suicide and i guess blames herself billy baldwin videotapes a bunch of women having sex even though he's married and oliver platt as far as i know just doesn't have any any sins or flaws to he's just like, a solid you know, dude yeah, he's just a solid dude. So even if he went under, he probably would just nothing would happen. He would just watch Alf. He would just get he would binge watch his favorite series. Yeah, for, like, yeah. for all eternity. <laughs> I'm good, guys. Everything's yeah. fine here. Yeah. Uh, how how do you what which one of the uh, scenarios hits like I guess effectively scares you the most, and which one of these scenarios really thud with you? If you had to rank the uh, scare potential for Nelson, David, uh, Julia's character, Rachel, I think her name is, and Joe. How how would you rate those? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I think Kiefer Sutherland's was the, uh, if you if you had to say one was the scariest, I think his was specifically because it was manifesting in a way that was physically harming him in the, in quote unquote reality. Uh, you yeah. know, because I, I think, that was that almost felt kind of like that, uh, like like a Freddy Krueger kind of thing, where it's like, okay, he's in this dream state, 
Um, yeah. and I, you know, it's one of those like, okay, is, is Billy really hurting him or is he hurting himself kind of in this, in this dream state? But <clears throat> that was, I, I think, I think that was the thing that made, made them interesting and, and different. And cause it really is kind of hard to tie them together. Cause I mean, the, the Billy Mahoney thing and, uh, Rachel's dad, those both made sense mm-hmm. because they were, yeah they, they were, uh, related to death. I mean, there was a death involved. Billy dies, her yeah. dad dies. There was a finality to it. Yeah. yeah. They, they couldn't get, uh, you know, any sort of closure to that. Yeah. So, closure yeah, really that, rusted Those on hit the them. hardest. Yeah. So it was like right. they, you know, and it was nice to see, you know, and for both of them, I think it was, it was a fitting end to it that both of them found that at, at, at you know, mm. um, and even in that, and, there, there's almost kind of a part two where it's like, you know, going back to that Joel Schumacher, it's like you have, uh, it's, and I don't know if it's intentional, but it's interesting that you have that, uh, the real bright red, um, hue to, um, the, uh, Rachel character and you have that real dark blue for, mm-hmm. um, for Nelson. And so there, yeah. you know, you kind of have these opposing, you know, uh, ideas, but they both end up finding, peace you know in the end through different means you have rachel who right. you know she goes and she has this closure she kind of has this you know kind of a sweet moment you know she has the initial going back and the memory of it all but then when she goes and she has that right. that scene where she is with her dad and you have them brace and there's a there's a, a closure to it which is nice and then and, you know, and the light the light changes yeah. too it goes from that red sort of we're in hell to a bright angelic sort of yes uh rachel's dad is able to go to the light now finally more or less yes and and if he did commit suicide then you would imagine yeah he's he's in hell i mean that's kind of the thing and then billy i mean his his tone throughout the entire i mean just that the the look on his face and his demeanor was very (laughs) aggressive Um, yes and then you have kind of that almost like a you know a silent forgiveness that it, that exists in that in that uh, the end scene with Nelson in you know he's yeah he sort of pulls down the hoodie and you see his face yeah the the storms like the skies clear you know it goes from like a very uh, overcast sort of foreboding dark skies and it just sort of clears up so yeah that's 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 really good filmmaking so but yeah so what about but but Kevin Bacon's character, I mean, he he gets to make amends in real life with yeah. the uh, little girl that he and a bunch of other kids picked on. Uh, I his was really, I mean, a lot of a lot of the visitation scenes were sort of funny. They kind of cut the tension a little bit. Like each time Billy Mahoney kicked the shit out of Kiefer Sutherland. It was I just railed on You couldn't on him. help it. Just, yeah. You just kind of couldn't help it. Nervous laugh a little bit. And at, at one point he's like doing the forced loogie. Like he's spitting on yes. him. And like Kiefer's like, no, <laughs> like he's getting killed. She's like, and you, are you not Kiefer Sutherland right now? Like this is a right? child. A child. You've is been, just- You've been the big bad in every movie you've ever been, more or less, to this point. Uh, it, you, yeah, you are being manhandled by a little kid, but in his head, it's it's the guilt is just 
wrecking him. He's sort of rendered helpless. Uh, and, but it is weird because like some the movie doesn't seem to have any rules because why? I mean, we established that you know Billy Mahoney is dead, but so was Julia River, uh, Rachel's dad. You know, like he never really physically manifested himself in that way. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like if you do that, this is just like what I came up with in my head to kind of make it more fun. I feel like if you are if you die and it come back to life, you've you've broken the natural law, right? Yes. So all all bets are off. Now, now all of a sudden you can see the dead people thing, like the little kid from the Sixth Sense. I see dead and people. And the f- <laughs> the fences, like those metaphysical fences that were once up to protect you or to keep the two worlds separate, is now gone. And depending on the entity in your life how aggressive they want to be is up to them. Like Billy Mahoney wants to kick Covet Keeper Sutherland's ass. So he jumps across the fence right away. Maybe the little girl in, in uh, Kevin Bacon's head, you know, isn't so eager to jump the fence and, and do anything to him. She just kind of shows up in the subway and it's real funny how she's just dogging him. She just goes just to town. Like, oh, <laughs> that got a big laugh in theaters. I remember ass licking son of a bitch like oh yeah she was i mean i was sitting there and i was like this this girl's really giving it to kevin bacon man yeah and he's just sort of like kind of looking off to the side like uh anybody get to say anything you talking to me is is this directed at me what's going on kevin bacon right i mean what have i ever done to you uh, but I do how like how it kind of forwards the plot of the movie a little bit when they're trying to figure out because Kiefer keeps it a secret, and I can't blame him honestly. <laughs> Being that the year all of your colleagues and friends are doctors, you know you don't want to come across as crazy, especially when you're yeah. trying to uh, establish some sort of scientific law or principle that you have in your head. You know, like you can't come across like saying this like whacked out stuff. And then, you know, like, one by one, each of the doctors go in. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it was kind of neat, that point where, you know, he does realize, like, oh, he this little this girl is still alive, and he gets to go and speak to her and sort of say he was sorry. And then, you know, he's like, I got to figure it out, you know. All you got to do is, you know, apologize to whoever it is you wronged. You know, like Billy Madison with, <laughs> with, with the shooter. Like, <laughs> Man, I'm glad I called that guy. Yeah. Oh, thanks for calling. You know, puts the lipstick on, crosses <laughs> off the name. Such a great scene. Well, and Steve Shivy's the best. It's kind of like as I'm sitting here, it's like, and it doesn't totally tie kind of every possibility together. But as we're sitting here talking about it, I, it just kind of thinking about, you know, because I, I, as I was watching it, I was trying to kind of you know, either consciously or unconsciously try and tie the stories together. Cause there is, I mean, there isn't necessarily one unifying thing that really brings them together. Cause you do have, you know, you have Kiefer Sutherland and um, Julia Roberts. Their characters are dealing with somebody who's already dead. And then you have right. Kevin Bacon and Billy Baldwin and they're dealing with people that are alive. So they're not, right. you know, it's not that same thing, but it is, it, it almost kind of covers like, if you flip the script a little bit and you say, okay, 
flatliners, you know, the the thing they all, you know, they die they die and come back from the dead, but they're each each of what they're dealing with is almost like kind of a condition of uh, being alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's regret, there's remorse, yeah. there's you know, there's there's all these these different scenarios, and you have different responses to them. I mean, you have uh, you have Kiefer Sutherland who doesn't want to acknowledge the past and doesn't want to deal with stuff and is almost forced to because it's eaten him up. And then you have Julia. Yeah. Roberts and he even who, yells at Alec. I thought I paid my dues. Cause you know, he got yeah, sent exactly. away to a boy's school. Uh, he, his life was put on a much more difficult track. You would assume because yes. of that. He had a consequence, but it wasn't, you know, it was imposed on him. He didn't do anything. You know, even, even in the end it was, it wasn't that he necessarily, I mean, in his own way, he was attempting to atone for it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was taking, I think it was the fact that he was taking ownership of it. You know, when he's yeah. complaining about, you know, I paid my dues, it's like, well, but that was put upon you as a consequence for what you did. You didn't right. say, I've done something wrong. I need to, you know, I need to do something to make it right. I mean, he may have, he may have, he, but. he may have, it's just, but, but you have that kind of up against but as a minor you probably wouldn't expect that sort of maturity yeah. and responsibility well because then when you when you flip that and you kind of put it up against the kevin bacon i was like he he has an experience that is similarly intrusive but not in a not in as violent of a way right and his immediate response is culpability he looks at the situation and says oh this is the girl. This, she was from my past. This is what we did, and he immediately goes to work trying to find her so that he can yeah. make it better. And yeah, I liked, I liked that they didn't make it about him just wanting to feel better, like because yeah. a lot of times that's what he was like. Oh, I don't want to feel bad for this anymore. It was more about like, no, I need to make this right. I yeah. need to go find this this woman, and I need to even when because he kind of persisted. She's like, oh, that was I don't even remember. It's like no, right, you know, right. I'm. I, this this won't set well if I just say, oh, okay, well, she doesn't remember. It's not a big deal. It's like, no, I need to make this right. So yeah, it's kind of both sides of that card. Because then, I mean, the story of Billy Ball, his his character, you know, in, in the end, because it, it, at the time I looked at it as like, it's almost like, okay, either they ran out of time or they just didn't care <laughs> to, to tie up his story. No. But I, I his, think I his think consequence he, is just losing his wife, basically. Yeah. But I think I think there is almost a part of it where if you if you look at what everybody did, you know, and you and you look at within the confines of the story, he he didn't. He I mean, ultimately, like, yes, he had he had a consequence. He had there was there was something that he had to pay. You know, right. And it's like, yeah, he loses. But, everything but that would have happened had he not killed himself. You know, like she would yeah. have discovered the tapes most likely. Yeah. And so. The, there's this, you know, he, he just faces loss and there's, you know, it kind of, if we're going to look at all four of these within the bounds of the movie and their actions as a potential course for anyone to take, well, he's plagued by the guilt of it, but ultimately yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't do anything to try to try and atone for it. No, no. You know, it's like, is, when they wrote this for him, it's like, we're writing this for uh, a bald one. We don't care. You know, it's like, Hey, yeah, I'm a bald. Any one. of them would. What? What if? What if for me to suffer, I'm accosted by beautiful women on the street? 
yeah, that's that's my that's my nightmare. <laughs> it's like no, he would never. He doesn't care about being objectified because they they try to play the scene like he is sort of uncomfortable by it. But if he wasn't already experiencing odd things, that would have been like, oh my god, this is that would have been a that would have been like a Joey subplot on Friends, like beautiful women oh, yeah. are just hitting on me, and I don't know why, dude. And then like he and Chandler would high five, <laughs> you know, like this is awesome. I just I love like you just you kind of figure like I'm watching it and like the scenes you know, that first scene. Where you just where the camera's kind of panning up, and you know it's him up in his loft, yeah, just going at it, yeah. And he looks back and, at the camera and kind of like he's, grins. He's, yeah, he's like he looks over the camera. It's like <laughs> I almost feel like they did like they snuck a camera in to film him, and he was just it was like, oh, I had a lady back at my place, and I was secretly filming her, and you guys were secretly filming me for this movie. Good job, guys. <laughs> That's right. But as I was telling you, is like this. I, I like to look at this. His part in this is a prequel to Sliver because it's sort of the same thing where he's yes. videotaping people in intimate settings, like voyeurism, unbeknownst to them. It's like, what is it about Billy Baldwin in this creepy sort of odd typecasting? <laughs> that that was that was people like I'm tired of seeing like a handsome guy videotaping himself having sex like there's no more rules for you billy what if what if we got alec baldwin but he played a really scummy guy it's like that would cost a lot of money what if his little brother would do it remember that scene in backdraft when billy baldwin had sex with rebecca de mornay on top of everyone uh, yeah (laughs) and it was videotaped (laughs) he videotaped it like that's it's just that's a, a Tuesday for scene. him. Yeah, I know. It's just a Tuesday. It's no big deal. It's just like in Bison. It was just a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. He's, he uh, walks into a burning burning building. It's like there's a lady screaming for help, and he just starts taking his fireman's his fireman's outfit <laughs> off. Like a stripper. <laughs> what, what are you doing? We, the building's on fire. We need to leave. He's like, not yet. We don't. Let me let me uh, want to pull on my hose or like make make a dirty fireman pun. Some yeah, some sort of <laughs> off color remark. Uh, damn it! Takes a small camcorder out of out of his jacket pocket. I know, I know. And it's that it's that like black and white grainy '90s footage too. Like it's, it's like you're playing a Sega CD game. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was I was looking. It was like, does he have a special? Because I'm like, okay, uh, these aren't. VHS tapes. Yeah. I was like, but he just pops it in like it's going into a VCR. And I was like, he has all this equipment just is like, yeah, I got a camcorder. It was like, he doesn't strike me as a really tech savvy guy. Like, no, 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 like, not really. <laughs> and but these like, are medical yeah. students. How can they afford this equipment? And these big, huge apartments. That oh my goodness. <laughs> like that was at one point I was like, he for something like the room, his room is like, what are there like eight doors out of his room? Yeah. Where do all these doors go to? I don't know. I don't know. And it's huge, too. It's like a duplex or some shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like this one room is like 20 by 20. It's like, what are you having concerts in here? This is your I don't bedroom? know, man. I don't know. It's it's such a 90s trope if you think about it. Like all of these shows, like Gary Seinfeld should have never been able to afford that apartment that he lived in. And, yeah. Or any of the cast members from Seinfeld, for that matter, should never have been able to afford oh, yeah. to live in Manhattan. No. 
friends that their apartments just it's just a 90s thing fraser i've heard a lot of people make that same complaint about fraser like he's he's like a dj right he does he has like a morning a local seattle radio talk show and he has the just the most glamorous this huge apartment amazing apartment (laughs) yes overlooking the seattle skyline (laughs) yes like no no it's not gonna happen it's like i know he's he acts like a snob right and I know that he's a he's a psychiatrist or a therapist, but, yeah. like, but he's not practicing. He's not practicing. He doesn't have no. a, like Niles. That makes sense. Niles is a practicing therapist or psychiatrist right. or whatever he is. Right. Frazier's right. on the radio. <laughs> he's on the radio. He's on local it's radio. Like, oh, okay. It's like I don't. Did he just do really well for himself in Boston? And it just, just looks like, cool, man. It just looks cool. That's all. You got you yeah. got a nice, interesting set to look at. That's it. It would it would just be really it's like yes he lives in a horrible dingy one bedroom with his dad and his dad's dog just like this hell just hole. smoking like, pot oh. with his dad yeah it's like oh this this show's not for me guys yeah I'll pass oh no oh gosh but that this movie it, it's a fun movie I don't think we didn't do any housekeeping let me let me do a little bit of quick housekeeping here oh yes this is way late uh, movies rated R. Uh, it is, it came in on a $26 million budget and had a gross, a final gross of 61 million. Uh, it's 155, one hour, 55 minutes. So, uh, uh, just was that 115 minutes? I guess is what that is. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's not. It it's a bit long, honestly. It's a little bit long. They they could have maybe cut a few things, but it's never not interesting. So I don't feel the length too much, like I you do it's, on some other yeah. movies. It's long for a horror, but when you yeah. add in like the drama and thriller and yeah. kind of you know mix that up, it's like well, if it, it was it just zips a horror by, movie, it really does. Yeah, it's a pretty tight movie. There's there's not too much extra stuff. Like what do you what would you cut? I don't know. So I don't know. I can't really complain of the length. Uh, it did release on August twelfth, nineteen ninety. Opening weekend, ten million. So, I mean, a pretty big hit. There are a lot of stars in it, but again, these are all people who were about to take off. Like you would, they, the 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 budget to film this movie five years later would have been massive to get all of these people back at that point. I uh, still would. I would su- I would suggest that a good portion of the twenty six million went towards uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Kevin Bacon's hair products. <laughs> yes, Kevin Kevin Bacon's hair is the most Kevin Bacony probably ever. He, and it's and it, wonderful. It is. It's fantastic. It it's it it started with Footloose and it's more or less the same, but just more more mullety, I guess, in the back. <laughs> it's a bit fuller in the back area. But it's, I mean, it's like, magnificent. I really was genuinely struck as I was, I was watching. I was like, Kevin Bacon is so genuinely entertaining just to watch. Ah, oh, I love Kevin Bacon in this movie. He's great. He really he brings really that is. intensity. And you think about it, like, guys he, like him in that era. I mean, you had your, uh, uh, who were who similar guys to him in that time? Um, um, oh, gosh. who Who is the gleaming the cube uh, guy and. Uh, pump up the volume and uh, oh, Christian Slater. Yeah, Christian Slater is another dude who had that sort of intensity to him. 
yeah. in this era. Um, but yeah, he he is quite entertaining, and almost and, and especially in these like movies. Like I think he let's see what other horror movies has he been in. He he was in that movie with the girl who was murdered in his house. Stir of uh, Echoes. Stir of Echoes. I highly recommend. Which is a that. good movie. This is a very good movie. movie. Mm, highly, highly recommend. Unfortunately, um, it came out after um, the Sixth Sense, right? The Sixth was, Sense, and that's yeah. it was too much. It was written, and it may have even been partially directed before the Sixth Sense came out. It just got released mm-hmm. after, yeah. And that's what killed it. Is you already had the Sixth Sense, so there was that that uh, <clears throat> saturation in the market that people were like, it wasn't just like, oh, this is a ripoff, but it was like, oh, yeah. okay, well, I've already kind of seen that. Yeah, and plus it is Kevin Bacon. I mean, Kevin Bacon was more known for his sort of dr- drama. You know, he was a dramatic yeah. actor. He And he was more into, I mean, you'd see him in a romantic comedy, but with an edge kind of deal, you know. And, that, like, because he, he's one of those guys. Like he's you, a good leading guys... man, but he's he's a he has an edge to him. There's a darkness to him. Yeah. Well, and, and when he, like, because... You know, at this this age and this stage of his career, he had that, you know, young, you know, leading man, you know, gets the girl, you know, mm-hmm. w- w- he's he's kind of in that role. And by the time you get to Stir of Echoes, he's old enough where it's like now he's a dad. And so there's yeah. kind of a, that you get that different sort of dynamic from like he's still really compelling in that dramatic sense. But it's like when you cross over from that young, hot, you know, up and coming uh, kind of you know protagonist to okay he's a, he's a dad he's got a wife. oh he did hollow it's man suburban. I forget that he was pretty oh was yeah pretty freaky in that Where that and that had a pretty decent the, cast yeah yeah it Elizabeth Shue and uh, it was Bro- Brolin was in that too yeah Josh he Brolin? was yep Josh Brolin yeah. was in it good that that was a pretty good movie he gets a little rapey at one point though a bit uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I've, I've he kind of loses explicitly and. And shows his dong as frequently as he possibly yes. can. <laughs> yes, he does. I'm like, hey, uh, when Star I was wondering Shirt, if not Star. How many Shirt times Shirt. do you guys want to see my penis in this? Yeah, movie? well, he's oh, was he, it a lot. He's well endowed, so why not? I mean, have a clause in your contract. It's like, look, uh, I know this is a curve and drama, but if I could show my penis, yeah, <laughs> could we some, just like you know, Your Honor? I'd like to, I submit exhibit P. <laughs> Can I just can I just slam my penis like a gavel in this scene? It would be amazing. <laughs> dun dun. But I think about that part in um, uh, Wild Things, and there was this, there was this like funny like little meme before memes, where you know if you 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 were either hung like Kevin Bacon or small, I guess. <laughs> and he's it's the part in Wild Things when he's like taking a shower. And he turns around as somebody like opens the shower, and it, it takes a second or two for his penis to catch in like catch up. You know, like, he, he he whips around, he whips his body around, and then like a take or two, like a beat or two later, his penis comes like afterwards. <laughs> like it's like oh, like slow on. motion. He fluffed himself up for that scene. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, All right, guys, get, give me a minute. I really want to make an entrance here. <laughs> Like, do we have to do this? He was a producer. He he sort of forced himself on that movie. I think he, I think he sexually harassed the audience with that little move. I feel. I, I would feel, say that's a fair. That's a fair <laughs> trick. 
<laughs> Kevin Bacon. I had to show. I had to show the judge where Kevin Bacon's, where he touched me, psychotic. Like show me on the doll. <laughs> oh shit! Here's another thing I have going. For, like here's here's how I would have done this movie. I love this idea. And by the way, I haven't seen the remake either. Have you? Have no, you seen? I haven't, the re- I haven't. Okay, damn. I was hoping maybe you'd watched it so you could speak to it, it a little bit. It 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 got. I mean, like it was one of those like I. I mean, this is this is this was a good movie, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those like it's not a forgotten '90s movie because there's a lot of those like uh, the one of the movies that I always point towards, um, and was almost kind of a joke at one point for us um, was the uh, Pelican Brief. Yeah, well, like the Pelican Brief. It's a really good movie, um, and especially the '90s. Like the '90s was adapting a lot of like. Uh, airport novels into mm-hmm. movies like John Grisham mm-hmm. and uh, James Patterson. All, all yeah. those, like, oh yeah, those. They, I mean, that was just such a such a thing in the '90s, and they're good, really good movies. But you just kind of watch it, and then it goes away. You forget yeah. about it. It's like, oh, okay, it was a good movie. Most of I them, yeah. To, but this this is when I was like, Flatliners is when I was like, it'll come up in certain conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not one of those mainstreams like, oh, Flatliners. Oh, I love flat. Like people that have seen it have that connection to it and and knows like a flat but you get a lot of people like flatliners why can't i place flatliners who, who is in flatliner you like yeah. that's it's one of those where it's like it's not forgotten but it's not mainstream enough to be like oh yeah flatliners so i would like argue that it, it is a bit forgotten because not i feel like when you bring it up everybody's seen it or at least pieced it together in a way that they yeah. feel like they've seen it all the way through due to the number of times that it was probably played on cable yeah. Um, theatrically, I mean, you know, sixty-one million, not a not a gigantic win. Not, it did come not on, huge, yeah. You know, and it what it does, it did get released in August during a time when, if you got a movie that grossed that high, you probably think it is a big win because it is August, and you kind of dumped that, movies that, there. That's a decent win. Ninety nineties in August because you know you got you're back to school. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of it's really too early for the Halloween crowd. Right. Um, so, I mean, it really, because even when you said it was released in August, I was like, that's an interesting, like, I feel like it's almost kind of like, you've got something this big. Yeah. Why would you not look for a better, I feel like that's just kind of an odd window for a release date on it. I just feel like it's not great planning or just more like questions like, why would you pick that for your release date? And it just seemed odd. But uh, when they, when they came out with the remake, I was like, Flatliners in and of itself was a good movie, but not the kind of movies like, you know what this movie needs? A remake with a bunch of shitty actors that I don't care about. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. the when that one came out, because I think that one, I mean, like, was pretty widely criticized, too, as being just genuinely shit. So I was like, really? Yeah, I'll okay. Pat. I feel like, uh, I'll, I feel like Rotten Tomato, like, it was just when I was like, no one wanted to see it. That's a good. That's a good point. Let me. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, let me let me check the scores on this. Flatliner. It's always weird when you go to a Rotten Tomatoes for movie release well before Rotten Tomatoes was a thing. Um. So it's well forty eight percent. So that that's what the tomato meter has. That's uh, that that's lower. That's actually a lot lower than I would have imagined. Even the audience score is only fifty nine percent. I would have imagined the, that at least the audience score would have been higher. 
I can tell you that the remake got a four on the critic side oh. and 30, 32 on the audience. Wow. Okay. Hey, uh, Ebert gave it three stars. So that there you go. <laughs> There's something. The, the original, right? Not the <laughs> the remake. I would that would just <laughs> no, no, not the no. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. I don't know if you got to see the remake. No, the original had three stars. So you know that that's pretty respectable, given especially given our history of digging up some of his old reviews from back in the day. That sits nicely in the pantheon of of reviewed movies from our for our podcast. Three stars. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look at Metacritic. It doesn't matter. They're usually pretty close. So Ebert, you know, Roger Ebert, RogerEbert.com for the Flatliners remake. Okay, star and a half. Star and, star a, half. and a half. Same score as Tommy Boy. <laughs> oh man, and I don't want to rag on it because it might be a watchable movie, you know, like not ever, not, you don't always have to agree with what critics say, but that, that is a pretty entirely, pretty awful score of four. Not many nice things to, to find people had to say about the remake. Um, but here, here's what I would like to see. I think this would be an interesting twist to the idea. What if instead of when, you know, you, you die, you have this, this thing that's nagging, like, on your conscience, whether it be, a, you know, a kid you were involved with his death in, uh, you know, different things. What if everyone had a variation of the same dream? You, you know, you, you can go about it lots of different ways, but in the end, there's always, like, a similar, like, conclusion to everybody's near-death experience. And like the reason- choose your own adventure. Uh, maybe, but, with, but, but within, within <laughs> the same storyline. Yeah. The framework can, has wiggle room to where you, you know, it can, your, your, your hell or sin can, can play a lot differently within the framework and the setting. But in the end, there's always like, well, no matter how you get there, like this person dies or this thing happens or like it just, the variables change, but like the story is always the same. And if it, and the reason is that is because we're all part of the matrix. <laughs> like we're the all being, we're all just being fed the same uh, near death experience. Our subconscious is churning along the same sort of thing, just painted in a different way. And then we all put it together. Like, wait a minute, my mine was really similar to yours. And if you take your thing, it's you know it's a little bit. It's like what what is this? And then they dig deeper, and then it turns out to be we're all in the matrix. <laughs> this is a simulation. <laughs> this is a simulation. I don't know. That's a bit more science fiction-y than horror, but I, I don't know. I it, can tell you. Yeah. I, I just realized, because I, I, looking up the other flat, Kiefer Sutherland was in the remake. And I was just like, I, I'm sitting here and Wait, I'm like, why, Kiefer? As himself, like from the from the original movie, or just? No, as... he, he plays Dr. Barry Wolfson. Okay. So All I'm, right, like, whatever. I guess I guess he's like the you know, like James Cameron would always kind of throw whatever new Terminator bones. Like we gotta we gotta find someone associated with the original movie and get their blessing by letting by them being in it, more or less. <laughs> it's like ah oh, Kiefer Sutherland believes in this movie enough to be in the remake, but is a completely different character. It's sort of like the Ghostbusters answer the call. They could get all the Ghostbusters to come back yes. in cameos, but it's something completely different. 
Dan Aykroyd, we want you to play a cab driver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bill Murray, we want you to be the 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 skeptic. A sassy gentleman. A, a sassy gentleman who wears sassy gentleman hats. Uh, but yeah, this this movie, I, I dig the tone. I like I like how it it just sort of hops along, doesn't doesn't linger. You know, gives gives you chills, but then at the end, you do sort of get this. You are fulfilled with this sense of hope, and I, I you, you, I wasn't expecting that. I don't know about you watching it, but I was not expecting that outcome. Even when I was much younger, watching it in theaters, I just didn't get the sense that there was going to be a happy ending. Like I really felt that Kiefer Sutherland was going to die, and wouldn't at all be surprised if you would were to tell me that they had two endings to this movie, one where he dies and it didn't test well or something, and then they redid it to where he sort of runs back to the light and, and is, is not dead. And they kind of have a happy ending. And you're like, like, oh, well, that is not expecting this movie to have a happy ending all around. <laughs> but here we it, are. It is, it is almost like they kind of flip the script on that. Because when you think, I mean, you know, especially... I mean, because it's one of the things we've said a, a number of times. I mean, this movie came out in 1990, yeah. and it is it is kind of nice because it it still has that 90s aesthetic. It feels like a 90s movie, but which is interesting a because times, a lot of times movies don't feel their current like when you're exactly. that early in the decade. It instantly it feels felt like 90s. it should still be an 80. It yeah, did. yeah. And so it was it was interesting in that respect because it's like okay. Through when you when you're going through the '80s, especially because you know um, kind of the transition from '70s horror movies. Because I've been watching Netflix, they just put out their most recent season of the movies that made us, and they have uh, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and Nightmare on Elm Street. They have and an aliens. episode on each of those. Uh, yeah, and Aliens, and um, and so. It's interesting when you look at like late 70s horror movies, like how Halloween really isn't gory, um, and, but it, it does still have that twist ending. And then you go through the 80s and they really just, when it came to horror, they wanted to really up, you know, kind of up that ante. And, yeah. and, and, and even in that, it's funny because like you think about Friday the 13th, which also featured Kevin Bacon, um, very... You know, Tom Savini did the gore on it, so it's not. It was okay for an early '80s movie, but mm. still kind of cheesy. And then you get around to this '90s movie, and it, while it's not like we've said, it's not like a classic horror movie in that sense, but it does really have a horror kind of tone to it. I mean, like yeah. the the scenes that are 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 there are not just dramatic scenes; they're meant to scare you. They're meant they to are. be intense. So it's there is really a horror element to it. Well, it's so the it's unknown of death too, and that which is yeah. scary. It's scary on its own, but when you do add in this whole, well, you know, these scenarios aren't playing by the rules, and we have one coming back, and is is he real or is he not? And you do have the scene where he's sort of, you know, fighting himself in the back of uh, uh, Kevin Bacon's, like, van thing or whatever. That truck the military was. truck that the he has for truck. some reason. Like, <laughs> yeah, what is... Like- what on earth? Where did you get this? You don't just buy one of those from a car lot, honestly. Like yeah, that's like, a Craigslist find in nineteen ninety, I guess. If whatever. What crazy like uncle bequeathed this know. to you? It, but he's related to the uh, Tommy Boy, not Tommy Boy, uh, Black Sheep 
character with uh, (laughs) (laughs) Gary Busey. (laughs) Gary Busey. You're a great American, sir. I always thought that was odd that like he drops that compliment into him. He's no, he's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, Doug, this man is not a great American. Crazy. Just because he flies the American flag does not make him a great American. No, <laughs> he's clearly nuts. I uh, I did I I did really like the ambiguity of that though because it's like all of those scenes up till that point, it felt more like a supernatural thing. Like yeah. even when he was you know when he when he he locks all of the. Like uh, he locks all the uh, the doors in his in his room, and he has uh-huh. I mean, like, really industrial strength locks, and he just says, yeah. like, uh, c- come and get me now." And then he right, shows up, right? And he falls and asleep. So <laughs> it has that really supernatural kind of tone. Like Billy is kind of like this. How is this ghost getting to him? But then you have that scene in the back of the yeah. car, and you're like, "Yeah, oh wait a sec, he's is doing this, this just to driving him. Is yeah. he driving himself crazy? And that's what's happening because, and I, I like that because I the supernatural too, part." Yeah, the supernatural part initially is a good scare, but then it's almost like they kind of he kind of twists the knife a little bit by saying like, "Well, what if the supernatural wasn't supernatural, but it was just you slowly losing your grip on reality?" And it's, I think that's kind of a relatable thing where it's like, "Ooh, if I didn't know what was happening to me, but I was the one that was doing it to myself." Yeah. And you realize like he's really hurting himself. Right. It's like, "Oh, that's even more intense and it's kind of accessible." It's like a ghost hurting me is scary in its own right, right. but it, I can kind of distance myself from that. But it's like, but I was, if I was losing my mind yeah. and I was hurting myself because I'm going crazy, it's like, ooh, that could happen. That That's was a creepy. cool inclusion. That was a cool inclusion. I, I agree. I definitely agree. And it, it kind of, it, it, it's sort of, you could make the argument that it is, it is playing by its the rules very much. You know, like yeah. once you see that it's not physically crossing the fence and wounding him, from from beyond the grave it's just his grip on reality has really started to slip <laughs> when keith keith or sutherland plays that guy that really unhinged guy very well anyway he just has that look always yeah and i'm not sure he's playing with a full deck right off no the no no never never <laughs> even when he's like a cop or something you're like he's he's any minute gonna lose his marbles here i think you're not like a Dennis <laughs> Hopper type guy. You're like no matter what movie Dennis Hopper's in, he's always there's going to be like you know one of those true romance scenes or some somewhere, yeah. <laughs> or Blue Velvet he, or whatever you have. You he's just a nutty guy. He walks into a convenience store and they don't have Funyuns, so he just shoots everyone. You're like, <laughs> what on earth happened here? Well, this I seems mean, really. It's it's Kiefer. I mean, you know, we we uh, have a we have a code for this sort of thing. We're prepared. It's like the it's like the Ben Affleck dead hooker in the trunk code. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't even been with a hooker today. I love that. Oh, I love that so much. Hey, by the way, let's just to flip over a tangent. Speaking of the viewist universe, I was listening to Kevin Smith's podcast. Uh, and he he has been mentioning as as I expected him to do. I haven't been listening to many of his shows in recent years, but anytime like he's filming something, like I remember all throughout filming uh, the reboot uh, and also Yoga Hosers, he would talk about elements of the movie, make you know through through every episode. It was ex- it was interesting just getting from his you know point of view as a filmmaker and as a filmmaker who has to really scrap together for the cash to make the movie. 
He, yeah, Lionsgate is 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 doing uh, Clark's series, so he's a little bit a little bit more like he doesn't Ooh, have nice. to hustle quite as hard. Uh, but he he's saying that the the movie should be delivered sometime in March, and that uh, you know maybe springish we may see Clark's three in theater, theaters. Don't know. Very nice. Don't know like what type of uh, release it's going to be, but it should get a theatrical release sometime, hopefully pre-summertime next year, which which is cool. I never, I had given up on Clerks Three. I did not think we were going to get one. Well, if it's if it's coming out in March, that that's the early part of the summer movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's coming well, early yeah, summer. You got the beginning of March. You got Uncharted in February and the Batman in March. Uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Big movies are just going to find their way into theaters. And boy, yeah, oh like, boy, I, mean, I am so happy to get in my butt in theaters and start watching movies again. I keep, they were playing the Ghost, but the Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, trailer all throughout uh, watching football today. I was recording this on a Sunday. It's like all throughout the day. The Ghostbuster Afterlife trailer. It's just like getting me so excited every time I see it. Like it's happening very soon when you start seeing the trailer playing during football scene. That repetitiously, yeah. It's like okay, yeah. oh. really promoting this movie. They want people in theaters for it. Yeah, and it and it's like it looks it's more like the international trailer. You got the terror dogs and stuff a bit more. So oh man. Well, and because you're seeing you know, like you know I've I've not been specifically tracking things but just in paying more attention and probably seeing more because you know the theatrical element is really starting to get a, a bit of a good swing back and you're seeing movies that you know if they released earlier in the year or definitely yeah. last year would not have made anywhere near as much money but right. especially in the international markets I mean I think uh, Dune, which just came out this weekend, yeah, I think it was like over two hundred million in the international markets. I want to say, wow, yeah, like, that it, that doesn't surprise me. I think it, I think it did around forty here, right? Which I think they were happy. Yeah, with. I think that's. Yeah, so I, I, think I gotta tr- say, not I. I know so many people love it. I'm just not into it, man. <laughs> I guess I know there's many, many, many books to Dune, and have you watched it yet? Just, I have not. I've not watched the original or oh, the remake. Okay. Well, you definitely don't need like, what, to. Forty-five s- hours long. <laughs> yeah, conservatively that long. Yeah. Takes about a week At and a least. half to watch. <laughs> it's very long, and it, the first time I watched the re- the the new Dune, I fell asleep part of the way through it, which is, you know, never a good sign for any movie. But you know, it's my yeah. fault for watching a movie like this late. Can't put it all on Dune. It's not like I fell asleep in the middle of the day or anything. Like, Kudos Ooh. to you though for picking it back up and and trying again. Yeah, well, I finished it, and it turns out I only had about fifteen more minutes of movie left, which shocked me. I knew it was long, and it did say part one at the beginning of the movie, which I wasn't familiar with going into it. I didn't know that this was part one. Uh, so they when it ends, it's very much like a there better be a part two or this is going to be make like, this is going to be extremely disappointing because they don't try. <laughs> Cause the David Lynch one movie. was all together, you know, like they put it all in one movie and it just didn't make any damn sense. Perhaps okay. doing two movies will make it better. Uh, because again, huge, huge interest in this, this thing. Like I, I think it's the sixties that this, the Dune books came out, I believe. 
there were like six books initially from the original author, and then I think a, maybe his son and some other people picked up, and there were many other books that came out after that. But I'm really only familiar with the 84 Lynch movie, which, <laughs> as I explained to you, like watched it uh, a little bit stoned and confused. <laughs> I was a bit dazed and confused, yeah. as they say. And yeah, I didn't... The- <laughs> David Lynch is just, he's a... Which you would hope it might might make it more enjoyable in a funny way, but I just couldn't. I just was like, what what am I seeing? I don't, did did I imagine that? What's even going on here? Yeah, so, but I will say one thing about Dune. It's very pretty. Uh, It looks great. I mean, Denis Villeneuve, I mean, like, the dude knows how to shoot a movie. He shoots a good-looking movie. Uh, and Timothy Chalamet in it is good. He's actually good in it. Um, and I like Oscar Isaacs in, in it from the bit that I saw. And I the the was it Skarsgård? Um, uh, who's who's the dad? Who's the uh, the elder Skarsgård? Stellan. Uh, so yeah, he, he. I like how they did his character. The way they made him CG is kind of neat looking. So I mean, I I definitely recommend watching it. It's interesting to look at for sure. I dig some of the weird technology used in it. Um, there's there's cool things about it, but just as a movie, it just oh gosh, just does nothing for me. I just could not get into it. I just so would rather watch Star Wars or something. <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. There you go. There you go. That's my sort an, of science it's an fiction. Easier right watch. There. It is a little bit easier like, to watch. Okay. Party on, dudes! <laughs> it's just fun. Uh, oh, here's a here's a funny thing. I was thinking that maybe we could do for flatliners. So, the thing is with the movie, as we've discussed multiple times, uh, you may have done something if if you're lingering if you if you have a near death experience and you're lingering on something, and you bring something back to you, back to the real world. Uh, is there anything in your life that you want to cop to right now on the on the episode, on the show, that you think would be um, tr- traumatic enough to bring back with you? Ta- if you- Taxi cab confession. <laughs> killed a guy once. No, no, no. no. You, the statute of limitations would probably be in your favor, you know, depending on, as long as you didn't recently have this revelation, but I don't know. Like I was just thought it might be kind of funny. It was like something, something that you did as a kid that maybe even doesn't even have to be bad. Like you killed a kid once, but just something that weighs heavy on your conscience always. Cause I've got one. I've got one. <laughs> Here's the time I was a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you follow, if you follow list or listen to the show, the big geek podcast show, there is this incident, this famous thing that went down in our friendship, the lore of our friendship, where we had a sleepover, me and uh, me, Nick, and another uh, kid who, you know, we were all friends in middle school. We had a sleepover. We were playing Nintendo games. Uh, we had rented a few, and we're trying to beat the games. And one of those games was Mega Man 2. And we were we were playing it for hours, and we were just trying to beat it. And then, you know, you kind of get to that point in a sleepover, where you're just you're just tired. You just you're you're trying to stay away. Keep going. Yeah, and you you come up with games to sort of motivate you from not falling asleep. Like you're like, oh, I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put mustard on your face. You know, like if you don't if you fall asleep <laughs> first, that whole thing. So I um so here here's the thing. 
I was the last to fall asleep of the friends, and we we sort of just fell asleep playing Mega Man Two. I I don't know why I even did it, but I felt it would make me seem cooler, I guess, more interesting if I were to lie and say I beat the game while you guys were asleep. <laughs> it's nice. like yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I beat it. I beat it after you guys went to bed. <laughs> and then so, like, Nick was playing the game after we were waking up again. And we got further in the game, or he got further into the game than we, when we were knowingly all awake the night before. And I, I reacted very surprised to what I was seeing. <laughs> and Nick's pretty smart. Like, he catches on right, right away. He's like, wait a second. Why... Why would you act like, why would you re- react that way if you've already been here? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I kind of had to, like, eat crow and be like, I probably doubled down on it when I was a kid, but I fully admitted to it, like, as an adult. Like, yeah, I, I don't know why I did that, but, like, I totally, like, lied. So I'm guessing that uh, <laughs> my my hell will be uh Nick busting my balls beating games that I claim to have beaten it. <laughs> you said you beat Super Mario Brothers 3, Ron, but you didn't. <laughs> you don't even know what happened. You've never even seen the end. No. <laughs> you, you don't know what happens at the end of Super Mario 2. You line some bitch. Tell me. What happens in this level, Ron? Yeah. But I mean, that's the sort of uh, thing that if you, you could have nightmares about, like reoccurring nightmares oh, yeah. that don't make any sense. I, who knows why we dream about the things that we do? I mean, I liken these near death experiences almost to just reoccurring nightmares or dreams. We all have some version of that. So, anyways, I told mine. Uh, do you happen to have anything like that that you, you could say, like, well, if, if I were in Flatliners 2. And I were one of the medical students in the year graduating after all of these guys like that. That would be my storyline. I'm trying to think what. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to go back to like elementary school. Like, what, what, yeah, what, those what would be the better ones for sure. <laughs> <sighs> like, oh, uh, I, I, I drank, I drank the ecto cooler out of my best friend's lunchbox that one day, and like blamed it on this other kid. And he got expelled. And then he went on to horrible schools for the rest of his life. <laughs> oh, that's I mean, not I, a real was, scenario. <laughs> you got my, something on my? It, it's it's one of like I it it I got busted almost immediately. But it, I like I remember because it's it's more a running gag anymore. Um, on my eighth birthday, <clears throat> um, one of the things, and I think my mom grew up with it or I, I don't know exactly when the tradition started but every year I have I'm the oldest of three I have a young my sister is the middle and my brother is the youngest and every year on, on everybody's birthday my mom would get everyone a pillow present that was and so you'd wake up in the morning and everybody got something little an action figure or something so you'd wake up and there would you next to you in your pillow there'd be you know a wrapped present for all three of us and on my eighth birthday uh, my brother and I we lived uh, we lived in a split level house. My brother and I, our bedroom was in the basement, and we had um, we had bunk beds. And my mom got me this paint by number kit, and I woke up and I immediately opened it, uh-huh. and it, it, like not just opened the present, but like oh, I should probably start painting in my room. <laughs> and 
it was it was one well, of you those really appreciated like, it, was, it. it it had like the the little the long plastic uh uh, like straw that had like eight individual little cups that you like flip the lid. They would yeah yeah, shut, yeah but like oh yeah. So it had it had they that still make kind of stuff paint. like that to this day for sure. Yeah, and so I'm uh, sitting on my top bunk and I watch it in slow motion as it falls and hits the floor with like all of them open because uh, clearly I had to have all of them open. And so right, on right. our off white carpet, there's this paint <sighs> all over the carpet, and I'm just like, and so. My brother, uh, so it was my eighth birthday, so he would have been four. Uh, I'm immediately trying to get him to take the rap for it. Oh. I was hoping in my head, like, please, please let this be leading to that you made your little brother like the scapegoat in this scenario. Because that's, desperate- that's a perfect Flatliners 2 storyline. And well, and he was, I think he, I mean, my recollection is that he would totally have done it. Um, but the, at the same time, the problem was because my brother was still as young as he was. Yeah. Um, we had, and I, did, I, I genuinely didn't remember it, but we had, it wasn't a baby monitor. It was more like a, it was like a, an old, it was an old two way, um, like speaker system. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it was on. So, like, my mom and dad, like, I was early. It was before everyone was awake. But, like, they clearly heard me <laughs> selling the whole thing to my brother. <laughs> so, like, like, I was totally right. busted. Like, you're, me, you, you, don't want, you don't want me to get in trouble, do you, pal? I like, mean, <laughs> they're going to go way you harder on me than they'll go hard on you. Trust me. We'll get out of this scot-free. We'll, I'll get you an ice cream. We'll forget about it by noon. <laughs> Dude, you, I'll, like I always get the first piece of cake because my birthday. I'll totally just like it's like I'll slide that right over to you. Like you can have the and it'll be a big slice of doing it. I don't, I don't remember how it's keep sweetening and, the pot. And you so, can like, you can watch the first show after school, like you know, like whatever, whatever you, you want, pick. man. It's totally and so like because I, I, I was I, I'm imagining they eventually got out of the carpet, but like it was a really big to do, and the whole oh, day. I remember my dad just being so pissed and it's funny because in later years, like we were talking, he's like, no, he's like, I, he's like, no, I was more upset with your mom. He's like, why would you buy this for him? Why would this be what you got him? Yeah. Like, like clearly, of course, of course this fell out of bed and onto the ground. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, immediately right off the bat. Like we're starting the day with like, oh good. I'm cleaning paint. Like actual paint, not watercolor, not something. No, this is paint, paint out of the off-white carpet. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. That's a good way to start the weekend. The day so, yeah, started with was, such good intentions. Like, oh, great. My eighth birthday is going to be such a fun day. That's a good one, man. That's a good one. I like that. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Do you do you happen to have I I you know it's really upsetting. I could not find. I was going to try and watch this movie with a DVD commentary, and I don't know if one exists for this movie because when you go to try and buy Flatliners, there's only a couple options for you. You know there there's this sort of real bare bones version. It's like a Blu-ray DVD that I ended up getting. And it has no features. There's like no main menu or anything. You just watch the movie. But and a lot of you get a lot of those sub ten dollar 
uh, Blu-rays oh, yeah, that just, are kind of that way. It's, it's just the movie. Just no the movie. F- no frills. No frills whatsoever. But I was thinking, well, at least I could maybe skip back to an old DVD release when, you know, director's commentaries, the DVDs were like the heyday of the director's commentary. So, but even then, like, I, it seems like the DVD that was released didn't have anything special. And there are, there are some special edition versions of the movie out there that don't include any commentaries. So I don't know this. Yeah. This might have to be one of those movies that maybe hopefully uh, shout factory will get a hold of and do like one of those special packages where they just wrap. Cause I mean, there's gotta be some interesting tidbits and factoids about making this movie. I mean, they, they well, could it, maybe even get some of those cast. actors. It is. It's a gigantic cast, and there's not a lot of fanfare or love in the way of DVD and Blu-ray releases, which has really surprised me. And I, I don't know if it's because of who owns the movie who originally distributed it. Uh, it is it is older, 1990, so I that could have something to do with it. But it, at the same time, it's not like there's any licensed music giving you trouble. Like, a lot of times, like, in DVDs especially – you won't be able to find like a particular DVD due to costs of, you know, a sound like, I guess maybe TV shows are more guilty of this than anything like the wonder years type of example where, you know, you, you can only buy for so long and then you can't resell that DVD because you're, yeah. your, your license only covered like two years or something like that. So yeah, if anybody I'm, knows of like some sort of like maybe an international release or something, I mean, I didn't spend a, ton of time looking for a, a, a set that included a DVD commentary, but there just wasn't one out there. So I don't have a ton of interesting things to say about the movie. It's pretty straightforward flick. Honestly, no, yeah. no big, no big reveals. Uh, it's, it's a satisfying movie. It, it It's like the perfect sort of, uh, if you're having, if you are going to have like a little horror movie marathon, it would sit nicely in between a marathon of something else as maybe a palate cleanser. Um, what I, what I really like about what we've done this year with the, uh, uh, with the spooktacular is I feel like there's a lot of stuff that everybody would just gravitate towards. I mean, you have yeah. all of the, the standard franchises, you have Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Yeah, you know, uh, th- there there's a lot of you know really classic. These are Halloween movies, mm-hmm. and I feel like we've done a decent job of kind of riding some of the outskirts because yeah. th- like this, like I, I don't think you, I mean, I really don't think you could get away with just calling this a drama because there it really is. There are horror elements to it that yeah make it scary. Yeah. Um, and it's like a suspense. It's suspense with a sprinkle of horror. And the horror is really just in your mind. You know, they kind of give you that. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is classified as horror if if you look yes. it up. Uh, even even uh, IMDb has it as drama, horror, sci-fi, thriller. And I guess the sci-fi is the whole, like, just, just, just the aspect of the scientific ramifications yeah. you know like that, i guess sure killing someone bringing them back to, yeah mm-hmm. and i will ha- i have to compliment the movie all of those scenes are very well done they're very they're very suspenseful and especially the julia roberts one where they uh, are all they're all very protective of her anyway they did they don't want to see her go under but then when they do attempt to bring her back something so stratus 
like just catastrophe happens where the power goes out and they can no longer rely on their instrumentation. They kind of just have to use all those sort of uh, EMS sort of out in the field, life-saving techniques. And thank God they were all experts because she wouldn't have made it. And even the final scene where, you know, like Kiefer Sutherland's character goes for so long and they're just beyond, they just cannot believe that he comes back from the amount of time that he did. Like he should be brain dead at this point. (laughs) It was like, should we, should we shoot him with all this shit? And they, you know, there, there were definitely moments when they were, Kiefer Sutherland was going to inject her with what the adrenaline or whatever it was. And they're just like, don't do it, man. You'll cook her. But with him, they're like, just, you know, whatever. The, Jam it into so his heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just fucking do it. Oh, I got to bring up another Schumacher thing. And that's nipples. Like he is very fond of showing off nipples. Like he puts the nipples in the bat costumes. Oh, the bat. Mo- yeah. The bat. Nipples. Mo- yeah. Most of the characters show off their nipples in this movie at one point or another, except for Julia, which is the underwear scene. Remember we had the common. She's the underwear. Spectacular. She's the underwear. So whenever we have our final movie, there's got to be some sort of underwear scene. And that that's yeah. still up in the air, too. Like, I guess at this point, we're just sort of going into what to expect for our final film for this spectacular. Uh, we're trying to work on that. I don't know what it's going to be or when it's going to be. I don't know if one of us is just going to pick a, a movie if, if things don't work out. But I'm going to keep it a secret for now. I think we should just keep it a secret. And just let you know, you're going to get at least one more scary movie for spectacular And... As we talked about, we have so much fun talking about these types of movies this time of year. We very well could just extend this a few more weeks uh, leading into Ghostbusters Afterlife because we're going to do an episode on that. That's oh, guaranteed. Yes. There's going to be a big That's old happening. fat spoiler-filled you know, episode with at least me, you, and Nick, possibly more. And we're yeah. just going to blow that sucker out like, Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Like, I really want to record it as soon as we see it somehow. Like, I want to I want to get on that, like, immediately. Get our immediate. We reaction. should just record it from the theater. Like, we should we, be there. We, yeah. Just bring all I, of our stuff with us. We, we could maybe try and do something like that. We'll see. We'll see. At the very we'll least, we'll like just. bring, like, a portable generator. Yeah. We just get just the plug everything in. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just, I'm going to have to buy a generator just for that episode. <laughs> all, all, no, no, spare no expense for Ghostbusters Afterlife. We'll, we'll write it off. <laughs> yeah, we'll write That's it off. That's the thing. We can just write it off. For sure. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, look, look for at least one, uh, possibly more. I don't know. We, we, maybe we take a break for a couple of weeks. I don't know. Just something. Maybe that it's it, Ghost Dad. Maybe, maybe it's Ghost Dad. Maybe it's, maybe it's finally gonna happen, guys. <laughs> I don't know, man, but I like I like the themed months. I I hope that we carry over some of the months that we did from the last year when we were starting it up. Uh, we we could do movies we're thankful for, but honestly, Ghostbusters Afterlife is not even out yet, and I'm thankful it exists. That could fill that could fill that right there. Yes. Uh, God, I'm so thankful that that movie exists and that it looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be the perfect movie for everybody, but I, I really believe that it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to sit nicely with the other two movies, I think. Oh, yes. It's going to sit nicely with those two movies and we're going to have this sweet little trilogy to have 
with uh, a fun little um, spinoff of Answer the Call. I'm gl- I'm happy that movie exists too. I am too, and I've I've heard I've heard that this the way that um, Afterlife is written that it does open itself up for more. Yeah. So. I, I, I got that feeling too that they're you know and smartly so like let's let's open it up for more Ghostbusters movies with this continuity maybe uh, yeah. I, I I hope they kept the budget modest I think they really did I think they kept it pretty I think pretty they did low too. I was amazed I read something today that said that the Batman movie only had a budget of like a 100 million dollars which is insane if you think about it for what like, for what they've done yeah <clears throat> we'll see if that's true or not, but I found that very interesting in, in 2021 for Warner Brothers. Their flagship Batman movie, for as far as I can tell, it, it had such a modest budget for what it is. So, I don't know. If, if Ghostbusters Afterlife has a, bu- a budget in that region, you know, not, not just have it balloon up, up, and up like the last one did and make it more or less impossible to make its money back. And also the fact Especially. that so many people have seen it like they've released it to critics. Like there was not even a trailer for Ghostbusters answer the call until like a month before it came out. It was the weirdest. Yeah, that was weird. Never have I seen anything quite like that. Like it's common to see trailers a year, eight months, whatever. And then you just keep getting trailers. But we, we got like one, right? They dropped one in before the it was like, was Hey, out. this movie comes out tomorrow. We promise oh, it's what? real. <laughs> it's actually Glad happening guys. I swear. You're getting, you you're getting a lot of little things. As the movie's playing. <laughs> yeah, you see the trailer for it, you're like, ah, surprise, you thought you were seeing the Pelican Brief too, but it's really actually Ghostbusters. Ah, this, I was like, oh, that looks good. I want to see. Oh, that's how right, I am you would be that. if something like that were to happen? Or how pissed you would be if you were a Julia Roberts fan? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, I hate, I hate the I, damn Ghostbusters. I would, I, I've always really liked the idea of like legitimately made but completely fake trailers. Yeah. Just and like, just as I mean, like if that's the crocodile like, Dundee one was awesome with Danny the, McBride. Be, and it's, I could tell, I mean like, because it made me legitimately angry because it was like, <laughs> yeah. this should have been a movie. Why didn't they do this like, for real? <laughs> but like, even I can't to the point of like, this isn't a real thing. It makes, too I would, I would, I would love to make a movie where literally like the first, I don't know, nine minutes of the movie is is just like it, it come it opens and it's it's not like hey it's the universal low. It's like no, it looks like actual like you get the green. This is approved for all audiences, and then you watch a trailer for a movie. It's like oh that looks really good, and then like you just find out it's like that was actually the, all of that was just part of the movie. Right. Like those weren't right. real trailers at all. It was just like oh, we that totally would be, faked you out for nine cool, minutes of the opening of the movie. Cool little meta. Metal uh, part like, of the what? movie there. I could dig that. I could definitely but, dig that. But then, like, information from those trailers somehow plays into the actual plot oh, of the yeah. movie you're it's watching. Not like, and you yeah, don't even realize it. Right. Right. It's not like just clips of the movie. Like, it's somehow, it doesn't get played yeah. again in the movie. It's important to the to the actual You're just like, oh, my goodness. Those trailers actually met, like, oh, it was like a little treasure hunt. Like, oh. You mean that when they did this in the oh my goodness yeah that makes sense now I'm like yeah that's right we were taking trailers for, for fake movies in a movie is one of my favorite things 
Simple you Jack. got you got it. Yeah, you got it with Simple Jack and all of the the Tropic Thunder movies, and they're, they're, it's been done before in other movies too. It's like ah, I love, I like this. Well, they did it with um, the Machete, right? Uh, with, uh, the, with the Quentin Tarantino Grindhouse movies. Yes. Yeah, so there was a fake fake trailer that ended up that turned out to be a real movie down the road. I love real Hollywood. fake doors, just real, just real fake doors, fake, just fake doors. Do you see the live action of- version of that where like some dude filmed like very low low budget, but they did the whole <laughs> fake doors in like real life. <laughs> and That's they, fantastic. They even had like the fake doors Johnson guy or whatever his name is. They they had this cheap effect of like what like ants are crawling ants over his eyes. eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ants in the eyes, Johnson. Yeah, Come on down to Johnson. my appliance store. <laughs> we get cheap cheap microwaves. I think <laughs> I think that's what that is. I can't even see because I got too many ants. It in might my have eyes. been the intergalactic cable, like because I think they did multiple things. But it's pretty it's pretty damn funny. Two brothers. Oh, that would be way too expensive to do that. <laughs> Like if you the, made it, if they made a two, but like if they're like, we're gonna make a two brothers movie for oh real. Gosh, we're oh actually gonna gosh. make this movie, starring Will Smith. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> or a ball fondlers movie. He's playing both brothers, like CG'd, <laughs> like they used to do with like the Van Damme. Oh. <laughs> like what was oh it my Lionheart? god, I would. Uh, double impact. Double impact. Double impact. <laughs> Oh God, I miss some some Jean Claude Van Damme. I was very disappointed to hear about the the shitty his shitty antics on the filming of Street Fighter. Oh, he's really, such <laughs> such an asshole on the set of Street Fighter. It really, it really makes me sad. Especially like it, it like it would be one of those things. Like it would be douchey enough if he just acted that way yeah. with all of the other people, anyways. But then yeah. the fact that Raul Julia is literally movie. dying yeah. of cancer. Oh, I know. And you're just like. Dude, this guy who's dying of cancer, he's his just wife like, where is my cocaine? <laughs> and you're just like, I'm getting wasted in my room. I'll be there when I'm there, guys. And he's on set. He's like, yeah, the cancer really hurts today, but I'll we can wait for Jean Claude whenever he gets here. I'll, I'll be film. vomiting. I'll because of the chemo. I'll be vomiting in my trailer for the next two hours. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be over here in the corner, huddled up, rocking back and forth, oh, trying to numb the pain. You just let me know when Jean Claude shows up. <laughs> it's terrible because nobody's hate performance for him to was be good inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. All right, let's let's wrap this episode up. Just just a quick little in and out. Uh, Flatliners, nineteen ninety. It's uh, you 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 can actually watch it on Amazon Prime right now if you have that. I think you can watch it uh, and on with, Hulu. I think that's where I watched it. We're on Hulu. Okay, with maybe with commercial breaks or something like that. Totally, totally awesome movie. Highly recommend it. And we'll, we'll be back for one more episode uh, for sure. So I'm going to play us out. Play us out. We'll be back for one more. Uh, it'll be a surprise. But there will be at least one more scary movie to finish out our 2021 version of the Halloween Spooktacular Volume 2, baby. Spooktacular. I've been one of your scary hosts, Ron Avis. And I've been your other host, Adam Peterson. See you next time. This is still Polly Shore. Ghost Dad. <laughs>